Hello, everyone. Thank you for uh, joining us this Sunday. It's really good uh, to be able to be together in this uh, fashion as we're online. The one thing that I, I must say is I really, really miss uh, the opportunity of us being together, uh, in worshiping together, having ministry together, praying for one another, encouraging one another, having prophetic words uh, in our services, uh, focusing on God's word, and having those incredible times of fellowship and sharing and ministering to one another afterwards. Uh, and I'm sure you miss it as well. I, I must say, certainly for me, each time that I preach like this, uh, it's quite difficult uh, looking at a, a computer screen or an iPad screen while you're preaching instead of seeing all your lovely faces uh, in front of me. But uh, we trust that in time we will be able to get back together again and uh, meet in the way that we used to, minister in the way that we used to, and fellowship in the way that we used to. Now today, uh, there are two very significant events that I want to draw your attention to. The one is what uh, was announced on, on Tuesday evening by our President Cyril Ramaphosa, and that today is a day of prayer. He has called a day of prayer for our nation. And to me, that's good news. It's good news when one of our uh, political leaders calls for a national day of prayer for our country. As you know, there we are a country in crisis at the moment, and we've got to acknowledge that. And not just an economic crisis, uh, we've got a medical crisis with this coronavirus pandemic that is sweeping through our country. And, and I don't want to be an alarmist, but but the wave's not yet broken. There's still more to come. And I think we need to be aware of that and alert to that. And so I want to ask you to join with me. And let's take a few minutes as we, we join with people across our nation and as we pray today. And let me give you a few things that I think we can be praying for as we take the next minute or so um, just to pray. Let's pray for our leaders. For wisdom for our leaders, for the way ahead. Let's pray for those on the front line, the healthcare workers, the doctors, the nurses, ambulances and staff that are caring for people, some of them that are really, really sick at the moment. Let's pray for our teachers and educators as schools reopen and all the dangers they will face and all the precautions they need to take, that the Lord will help them. Let's pray for the level of fear in our nation. As believers, we are reminded that we should not be anxious, but rather that we should pray about everything. Let's pray for those who have lost loved ones. You may not know them, or you might know them, but they're people that have lost loved ones and will lose one loved ones. Family, this families that have been bereaved and are grieving at the moment because of deep loss. 
Let's pray for those who have lost their employment and will lose their employment, who are struggling financially, those who have lost their income. Let's pray for a real spirit of generosity to sweep through our nation. Let's pray that as a, as a country and as a people, we will be able to rise out of the ashes of this pandemic. Let's pray for continued compassion and care towards one another, not only now, but in the days that lie ahead. Let's pray for the responsibility that God has entrusted to his church and to his people to bring grace, his grace, and his peace to people across our nation through the gospel and through his son, Jesus. And so, Father, we humbly come before you today as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hears us when we pray, who hears our cry. And Lord, we cry out for our nation and we cry out for our people today. And we say, Lord, through Jesus, through the gospel, will you heal our nation? Lord, we desperately need you. We need your hope. We need your peace and we need your grace. And so we lift up our country and its peoples before you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. The other important uh, aspect of today is we remember that it is the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost is not just a past event that we remember, but it's an event we remember because it still has significance uh, for the church today. In Acts chapter 1, we discover Jesus saying uh, to his followers, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus uh, instruct a small group of his followers to wait for the outpouring of the Spirit? For this promise. Well I believe he said that because uh, it reminds us today. That Jesus anticipated the mobilizing of thousands of people. Who would continue his work by making disciples of the nations. Jesus always anticipated the mobilizing of thousands of people. As the Holy Spirit was poured out on each one. The outpouring of the Spirit is what gave birth to a community of people and believers called the church that you and I are part of today. It all happened as a result of the message that Jesus preached, but also the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It reminds us that the spread of the gospel was never going to be dependent on 12 people. 
It would involve every believer, men and women, young and old. And that's why everyone needed the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we are reminded in chapter 1 and verse 8 of Acts. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. You see, it was going to be about every believer and every disciple receiving a supernatural outpouring from the Holy Spirit and empowering from the Holy Spirit so that everyone would hear the message. So that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. So that no one would be able to say, I'm not part of this. Because the Spirit was for everyone. Billy Graham, one of the great evangelists of the 20th and 21st uh, centuries, was so concerned about who would take over from him. That in 2000, he called a, a meeting of uh, over 10,000 evangelists for nine days in Amsterdam to talk about who would take over from him, who would be his successors. And after that conference and those meetings, when the question was asked, so who is going to be the next great evangelist like Billy Graham? The answer was pinned. It's thousands and thousands of local evangelists involved in evangelism. It's not about individual giants or celebrities anymore. It's about building on what Billy Graham has done to have thousands of people being mobilized. And may I say, when I think of Pentecost today, I think about what God is doing now through His Spirit, through His church. And so, Lord, I pray. And will you pray with me? I pray, Lord, for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon your people and in your church. God, I want to pray as the early disciples did because we face such opposition in the world today. We pray that we may have boldness, Lord, not because we are scared, but because, Lord, we know we're in a battle. And because we know there's opposition. And so we pray, Lord, that we may have boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus to friends, to families, and to our colleagues. We pray, Lord, that there will be signs and wonders and miracles that accompany our preaching and our sharing and our witnessing. That people will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to save the world. And I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure that uh, you will remember that uh, after it was first announced that we were going to have a total lockdown for three weeks, um, what happened in the shops and what happened across our nation. You do you remember people uh, rushing to the shops. I remember, I think it was a Wednesday and a Thursday, people rushing to the shops, long queues, trolleys piled high and empty shelves. Do you, do you remember how people were willing to stay at home? Not like at the moment where everybody's wanting to get out, uh, but people were willing to stay at home because they were anxious and fearful about the spread of this 
coronavirus. And, and people started wearing masks and gloves and spraying their hands to prevent any possibility of them getting infected or passing on the virus to somebody else. And in a very short space of time, the whole country braced itself and prepared itself for what was about to happen. When we come to Peter's first letter, Peter writes to these early believers because he wants to prepare them for what lies ahead of them. In AD 64, Christians are about to face an unprecedented outbreak of persecution under Nero, who was the emperor at that time. He had an ambitious plan to rebuild Rome. And so he started a fire that would tear through the city and destroy thousands of homes. And when the word got out that he was behind it, he looked for a scapegoat to blame. And so, and so he blamed Christians for starting the fires that brought so much destruction in Rome. And that leads to an unprecedented outbreak of persecution for the next 250 years during which time the church grew more strongly and more quickly than it ever grew for the next 1,500 years. And so the, the Apostle Peter wants to ensure that these believers are spiritually prepared for what they are about to face. When we heard that there was a worldwide pandemic that was killing thousands of people, Every effort was made to prepare for what lay ahead. And isn't it equally important that we make every effort to prepare ourselves spiritually for what lies ahead of us at the moment? In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 to 7, let's listen to the words of Peter as he writes to these early believers to prepare them for the persecution that lies ahead of them. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, to those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of of his blood or the sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Being spiritually prepared for what lies ahead of us 
means being confident in what God has done in our lives. That's, that's, that's the foundation that we stand on. As we are spiritually prepared for what lies ahead of us, we need to be confident in what God has done in our lives. Not in what we've accomplished or any feelings that we have. We need to have this confidence in what God has done in our lives. And so when Peter writes to uh, these early believers, he uses a very unusual term. He uses the term exiles or strangers to God's uh, elect strangers and exiles in the world who are scattered. And uh, by calling them exiles, he's saying something about Christians. He's saying something to these Christians. He's saying that Christians must come to terms with the fact that there is something different deep within them that just won't fit into the world in which they live. And here's a few examples, and I picked up a few verses through uh, 1 Peter to, to, so that you can be aware of what Peter meant when he, he spoke about um, these believers being exiles. And in a sense, we are also exiles, even though we are living in South Africa. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, you can follow with me, you'll find this on the screen. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 18 and 19, speaking, remember, slavery was rough in the Roman Empire at that stage. He says slaves and some of those slaves had become believers and Christians. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable, speaking to Christians, if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. And then one last scripture, 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised. Isn't it amazing how we always are surprised? Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. For these Christians to be spiritually prepared to face persecution means being confident in what God has done 
in their lives. And, and Peter tells them, he, he outlines this for them as he writes to them and the words that he uses. He says to them, they have been chosen by God. And, and what he's speaking about is the fact that God took the initiative in their lives. He's speaking about God's activity in their lives even before they became believers. And they are, are children of God. They are followers of Jesus because he took the initiative. You see, we are believers today because God chose us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. There was nothing about us that made us, that ever made us worthy of being his followers, his children, and his disciples. But he chose us in his kindness, in his grace, and in his mercy. He has chosen us. And that's why Peter goes on to say in chapter 2, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isn't this one of the most profound pictures of grace that we have in the Bible? There's absolutely no reason why God should have, should have chosen us. And yet here we are today, privileged children of God. But not only uh, does he say these believers, these early Christians have been chosen by God, but he says they've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, or another word we can use here for sanctified is the word set apart by the Holy Spirit. And because of what God has done in their lives, these believers have been set apart. In other words, they're becoming more and more distinct from the culture and the people that they live among. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And we remember the day of Pentecost today, the outpouring of the Spirit. And here's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives because of His work and because of His ministry in us. We become people who are more and more godly. We're becoming more and more godly, more and more focused on being followers of Jesus. And that's why Peter goes on to say in chapter 1, verse 14 to 16, As obedient children, do not conform. To the evil desires you once had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. But then they have also, Peter says, they have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. I want to use another word rather than sprinkled. The word cleansed. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Because of the, the blood of Jesus that was shed. These believers have been cleansed from sin. There's no more condemnation for them. Because they're now in Christ Jesus. Their relationship with God has been restored through the shedding of the blood of Jesus. And Paul is here, uh, sorry, Peter is here describing the life of a believer. Because of what God has done and because of the shed blood of Jesus, they are eager to obey him. And when they fail, they always know that because of his blood, they can be forgiven. And you see, this brings me to quite an important point. When God has been at work in our lives, and I mean we've been born again and be, we've experienced the work and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as the Spirit of God begins to move more and more powerfully in our lives, it results in a great confrontation between the forces of darkness and the forces of life. 
light. You see, we are reminded in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And we, we mustn't just look at things in the natural. We must realize there is this great spiritual battle that's going on. And we are part of that great spiritual battle. And as I found, whenever there's a deep move of the Spirit, you find that uh, right throughout history in the Bible, go and read it, whenever there's a great move of the Spirit for which I'm trusting God in these days again, a great move of the Spirit in the church in my own life, it has always resulted in people coming to know Jesus, a, a change in the spiritual uh, uh well, the spiritual environment uh, in the church, uh, even in, in the nation. But with that comes opposition and persecution. It always happen. it happens because the enemy resists the work of God in our lives. And so we need to be spiritually prepared for the days that we are living in. But being spiritually prepared for the times we are living in also means also means over and above what God has done in our lives. It means being full of hope because of what God has prepared for us. Peter draws uh, our attention to the fact that, that Christians have an unusual advantage that they must never, never overlook and never take for granted. They can always be confident of the outcome of events, even when it involves persecution and suffering. Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into something. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into a, an inheritance that, that can never perish. And it can never spoil. And it can never fade. And it's kept in heaven for us. And you see, there is an attitude of expectancy that happens when we're born again. Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians, put it like this. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Look at, the, look at the way that he looked at life. If I'm alive, it's for the sake of Jesus. If I die, all that's going to happen is I'm going to gain more. I'm going to be better, better off. And in fact, the reason Christians rejoice even in hard times is that they know and that they are convinced that whatever they are going through now, that's not their final lot in life. Peter says in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You see, the way these early believers were, were being prepared to face persecution was to remember that nothing people could do would ever rob them of what God had prepared for them. The reason Christians are confident and have this hope is not because everything works out perfectly. They have hope because of two things. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And Peter's making such an important observation as he writes to these believers. He says that, that they are able to have this hope in the face of suffering because the foundation of their faith is not a perfect world where bad things never happen. The foundation of their faith is a resurrected Savior. 
And you see, uh, the problem is when we, we try and base our faith on whether things are going well or not, and, and our perspective of God is, is built on that, it's dangerous, it's sinking sand. But our faith is not built on that. He said our faith is built on the fact that we, we worship and serve a resurrected Savior. We believe in heaven, that God's for real, that God will keep his word because Jesus rose from the dead. And I always want to shout hallelujah when I say that. In 1 Corinthians 15, you remember Paul is addressing this whole issue of the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he said, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ's not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. You see, our faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The other reason that Christians can be confident and have hope in every season of life. is, and, and this is what Peter helps us to understand. Because sometimes we don't realize it. Is that God's power is protecting us. Our hope and our confidence in the times we live. Is not built on our ability to overcome. It's based on the fact that God in his power protects us. One, if you remember when, uh, when Jesus said to Peter one day. Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail you. And even although things go quite pear-shaped for Peter and he denies Jesus, yet in the bigger scheme of things, his faith did not fail him. You see, God answered that prayer and Peter was protected. Hard times and persecution will not be able to crush the hope that Christians have. When it's from God, when he is the one who is guarding us. But, you know, being spiritually prepared for the times we live in means that our faith only gets stronger when it's tested. Can I say that again? Our faith only gets stronger when it is tested. You see, at some stage or another, most of us have either wished or prayed for that we have a stronger, a strong faith. Maybe, maybe it's a strong faith like that Roman centurion who said to Jesus one day, you don't even need to come into my home. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And it says Jesus marveled because of his great faith. And maybe you say, Lord, I want to have faith like that. Or maybe you know somebody who, who stands out to you as a great man or woman of faith. And you say, Lord, I'd like to have faith like that. And the revelation that we have here is anyone who does have a strong faith is somebody who's been through a time of testing. Because only when our faith has been tested will it become stronger and purer. Peter says in verse 6 and 7, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes though, uh, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What Peter is saying to these believers is that, that these, this persecution and, and these trials will be one of the ways in which their faith is proved genuine. And, and what he's saying is, sometimes that can sound a little bit um, confusing, but what he's saying to <clears throat> is this. He says, when trials come, 
And when hardship comes, it shows us something about our faith. You see, it's so easy to have faith and to say we have faith when all it's all going well. When our finances are fine and our job is fine and our family is fine and our circumstances are fine. <clears throat> Isn't it so easy in circumstances like that to say we've got a strong faith? But isn't this our faith really proved the moment we face trial, the moment we do go through these difficulties, the moment we do go through these hard times, we learn something about our faith. But not only do we learn something about our faith, we discover how to have faith and how to really trust God in the midst of all of those things. That's why in James chapter one, James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. In the light of this message today, one of the questions I have been asking myself and one of the the things that I've been praying about is, is what can we learn from this time that we are going through at the moment, how can we be spiritually prepared, <clears throat> pardon me, for what lies ahead of us in the days that lie ahead of us? Because as you've heard many people saying, things are never going to be the same as they were. And there are a few things that have stood out to me, and I want to leave this with you as I close out uh, this message. Number one, we are learning what it means to really, really rely on God. As I said earlier on in the message, it's easy to talk about relying on God and having faith when we've got so much at our disposal. But what about when things go pear-shaped? What about when the economy's in ashes? What about when people have lost their jobs? What about when people are, are feeling devastated because of what's happened? And that's what we're going to see. Friends, that's the time we can trust in God because God's still with us and God's still at work and God is still the God of miracles. And I want to say to you, this is something that we need to embrace as we move forward in the days that lie ahead. We've also discovered how many opportunities we have at our disposal when we really make an effort. One of the scriptures that that the Lord's been impressing on my heart over and over again during, during this lockdown is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. And, and it's, it's what Paul said, and it's, it's like rung a chord for me, struck a chord for me. Um, in, as Paul is in prison and he's writing to the Philippians and he wants to encourage them even though he's in prison. And he said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And, you know, going forward, we've got two choices. We've got the one choice of being uh, all fall over. Oh, dear, what, how terrible everything is. Or like Paul, we can embrace this truth. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I want to call you today. And I want to challenge you today. And I want to pray for you today that we would see that what has happened to us is an opportunity for the gospel to be advanced. We also know. Here's my third observation, that we can never go back to what was after all that has happened. I I don't know exactly what things are going to look like going forward. All I know is we must not long for the past and wish for the past because the past is the past 
and it will not be repeated. What has happened has changed the landscape. It changed things for so many people, including the church. And I believe we have an amazing opportunity at the moment to revisit virtually everything that we do, to make sure that we continue the work Jesus gave us to do. What an exciting moment in time. In a sense, the pause button was pressed. And we've had an opportunity and we have an opportunity to evaluate. But friends, let's look forward, not look backwards. Let's not wish for the past. Let's trust God for what he has in store for us right now. And maybe my last observation as we prepare ourselves spiritually for what lies ahead is what we can do when we work together. I don't know about you. But one of the most interesting things for me to see is how people are joining hands as they together deal with some of the challenges we're facing at the moment. It's uh, for the first time that I can remember whole neighborhoods are working together to help each other and to help those even beyond their community. Churches are working together. Denominations are working together. People are holding hands and saying, we need to work together. Because we have a massive challenge that lies ahead of us. And it's interesting to see what is being done as people work together. I was reminded of a plaque that um, was on Ronald Reagan's desk, who was one of the presidents of the United States. And it just sat with me uh, as as I wrap up uh, this message today. It said on that that clock, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. And I pray today that we will be spiritually prepared for what lies ahead of us. Not not only prepared in other ways, practical ways, physical ways, but we may be spiritually prepared for this moment in time, remember those, those words of Mordecai to Esther. Who knows for, it's for such a time. And maybe we need to embrace those words for ourselves today. And it's for such a time that God has allowed us to be here in our nation and in South Africa. So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord strengthen us. And may our eyes be fixed on the opportunities he has given to us. Now, as we wrap up, I've asked James Dawson uh, to to sing a song that he has written. And he wrote it, especially in the light of the lockdown. He wrote it a little while back now. But I've asked him to sing this to you because the words of the song, I want to ask that that you just listen to these words and allow the Lord to minister to you as James closes out for us. And may we be challenged that he is God above all. He is the God above all and that we can trust him. And once while he's singing that song, you will see my Zoom room details appear below and on the screen. And you are invited and and depends on obviously the time that you are listening to this message. But if you're listening to it live, then I will be available in my Zoom room. You can log into that if you're able to. And uh, I will be there. And there'll be a few other people there with me. And we would love to pray for you and with you. 
If you desire prayer, maybe you, you want to pray for healing. Maybe there's prayer for a specific thing that you want to pray for. Maybe you just want prayer for, for an outpouring of God's spirit and to be spiritful today. Well, I'm going to be available in the Zoom room with some people and we'd love to invite you to log in. The details are there. Log in and come and spend some time and allow us to pray with you and talk with you. Uh, as we close out, if you're going to do this at any later stage in the day, then do phone uh, the number that will be on the screen and somebody will be in touch with you or email us so that we can give you a call um, either later today or during the week. And so the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. God make his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. In Jesus name. Amen. Hello, everybody. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is James. I'm one of the worship leaders at the 6 p.m. service. Uh, John just asked me to share a little bit about a song that was placed in my heart at the beginning of lockdown. And for those of you who haven't heard it, it's called God Above It All. And God really just placed the song in my heart as an encouragement for you and I. Um, and, and just a reminder that he is still in control. Um, some of the lyrics are like, our God is in control. We will not fear for he is our Lord. Um, and we look to you for you are in control. Um, and those lyrics are really just so powerful because it's a reminder that even though life before lockdown and now in lockdown looks so different, it's almost like they're two different times completely. Our God is unchanged. He hasn't changed between the God before lockdown and the God in lockdown. He's still in control. He's still above it all. He's still worthy. He's still holy. He's all the things he was before lockdown. And so this is just meant to be an encouragement, like look to God. And those are the last, actually, last line of the choruses. It's we look to you for you are in control. And so I just want to encourage you, put your faith in God. Look to him for your source of comfort. Look to him and put your faith in him and trust him for provision because, yeah, he is in control of everything and just be encouraged by that. Awesome. God above it all, you are the one in control. God above it all, You've never changed, you're still in control, unchanging God. We worship you. God who's in control, you know the way you've gone before. And God who's in control, we will not fear, for you are our Lord, yes mighty God. We worship you. Yes, mighty God, we worship you. Cause God above it all, we trust in you alone. Our God is in control, we rest within his walls. And great defender, hear our praise. Protect us through these days, we look to you. For you are in control We look to you For you are in control God who conquers all You conquer our sin And conquer our wars 
And God who conquers all You broke all the chains The glory is yours Yes, mighty God We worship you Yes, mighty God We worship you Cause God above it all We trust in you God is in control We rest within His walls And great Defender, hear our praise Protect us through these days We look to You For You are in control We look to You For You are in control Hallelujah God has gone before Hallelujah Hallelujah Our God is in control Our God has gone before Hallelujah Hallelujah Our God is in control Our God has gone Trust in you alone, our God is in control. We rest within his walls, and great defender, hear our praise. Protect us through these days, we look to you, for you are in control. Yes, you are, we look to you, for you are in control. to you.